All right, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast today with Matthias Hotka. Hi, Matthias. Hi, how are you? I'm very, very well because we are actually meeting in person and this is very rare these days. <laughs> so I'm actually quite happy that uh, I'm actually uh, visiting you here at uh, the DHL Innovation Center. And uh, it's actually quite impressive and uh, still haven't checked out everything, but uh, hopefully can do afterwards. Absolutely, yeah, no, let's do that. Um, but obviously, uh, I guess there's a lot of interesting things that we can talk about because um, you are, um, if I can say, um, responsible for uh, all the interesting things that are happening at DHL. <laughs> Depends obviously from what perspective you're looking at, but well, from my perspective, they're actually quite interesting. So maybe as the first thing, as, as always, you know, the first question or the first uh, thing that we always do is kind of ask our guests to you know, in a storytelling way, a little bit, go through their professional life and tell a little bit about where they come from and what they what they do today and how they ended up there. Okay. So where should I start? So um, chronologically, so I'm I'm my, my profession. I'm a finance person. So I started my career in, a, in banking actually, um, and then I um, uh, studied ma macroeconomics and media management. That was kind of my first, I think. Um, Back in the time, there was uh, we talked about internet and and how to make e-commerce work, and it was I found it quite interesting. It's actually not that long ago, but I think a, a huge development since then. So I focused there on um, I think there was the first classes at the U uh, University of Cologne where I studied, actually on uh, media management. So how can you l use the internet for commerce and business? Um, so today a completely natural thing. Um, but that's what we looked at. So I, I, I looked at the case, um, and that was actually when all the banks started doing internet banking. So uh, again, today you it's kind of the opposite. Um, there's not many physical banking left, but um, so that's what I looked into. So how how can we actually leverage internet and really create some um, um, commerce for banking online? Um, and that's really also when I got first in touch with, I would say, at, at that time, the new technologies and some of the innovations in the industries. Um, and it was really complete coincidence and I then ended up in um, consulting. So I joined Deutsche Post DHL in an internal consulting company. So at that time, it was a very small, I would say like a startup within the group, uh, really building up our own management consulting within uh, Deutsche Post and DHL at that time. Um, and really, I, I just met those guys at the university um, and somehow it kind of clicked and I said, hey, that sounds interesting. I would have never thought about joining Deutsche Post DHL because, I mean, it was uh, the male company. So it, it's uh, still, I think, in Germany, many people think it's a pretty boring um, industry. Um, actually, once you end, it's absolutely not. Um, and uh, maybe we can talk about a little bit that later. I think it, for me, it became very apparent this year. So after then, so I started in Cologne and I joined a consulting company, worked there for um, seven years. Um, really, we grew then from 20 people to close to 150 um, consultants. Um, I, I led the supply chain practice of that uh, of that group. Um, also, then starting doing first um, consulting supply chain optimization projects with customers. For example, we work with the government in Dubai on some projects, um, and that's also when I really spent time in Asia, uh, time in in the US to do kind of projects, um, always with DHL, but then really kind of spending a year there, a year. Um, in in US as well, uh, so China and Singapore mostly in Asia, and then I, I joined um, one of our divisions, supply chain, heading global marketing and sales, 
and then it was all about I think digitalizing some of the the processes that we had from a on a sales side and the go to market approach. So I was heading their marketing strategy and and global sales and. And then I joined our unit that is called Customer Solutions and Innovation, which is um, a mix of our key account management of DPDHL. So we are looking after the top 100, roughly 100 accounts of, of the group. But we're also doing all the other, I would say, cross-divisional commercial and innovation topics. Because um, we have five divisions in, in DPDHL. Um, I'm not sure how familiar the people are with the group, but it's like it's we have 500,000 people. Um, around 65 billion in revenue, and that is divided in really five equal divisions. And I think mostly known in Europe, Germany is the parcel division or the mail division, and then internationally is mostly the express, the forwarding division, and supply chain. And we are going like looking after all divisions so across all divisions. Um, and they are responsible now for strategy marketing and for innovation. Um, and I think for me, the nice thing is really that typically innovation is always relatively separate and more like product development and i think what we try to do is um having it much closer to customers and also to our operations um i think we can probably talk a bit about that later but i think that's kind of the, the unique thing about the setup and for me it really brings nicely together all the stuff that i have been doing in the past so as it's like marketing is still in there the go-to-market activity strategy but also a lot about technology and how we can take um, or yeah, take advantage of technology to really drive a better customer experience and also help our operations to be more efficient. Um, yeah, so I, I live in still live in Cologne, or like south of like south of Cologne a little bit. Um, originally, I'm from the Sauerland. For those who are familiar with that, just talked about skiing earlier. So that's where kind of my my hobbies is one of my hobbies. I like I love skiing and I love everything that is kind of going fast, from um, bikes or fast cars or anything else. Uh, but I also have three kids, so I had to reduce it a little bit uh, in the recent past. Um, so now I spend most of my time either doing some of those hobbies, but of course a lot of time spending with my three kids and my family. Good stuff. Um, so first of all, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for the insight here. And, um, you know, kind of as a first question, because I'm actually very impressed um, by this, this this innovation center. It's a... It's a Kind of to this, I don't know if you can Google it, but you most probably can. If you, like, you most probably find pictures, but yep. just to kind of describe it for the listeners here, it's actually a really big building, and it looks like your typical startup heaven. Like you know, it's 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 like edgy. There's you know like cool furniture. There's different types of things here. You know that that really look <laughs> techy. It is uh, it's actually actually quite impressive. And you know, my question, my first question about that is actually, you know. How did this happen, or why? And you know, how did this happen, and why did this happen? And like, you know, why build such a big building? You know, just specifically for the purpose of, you know, showcasing what the future can kind of look like. Mm -hmm. um, actually, we have three of those now um, okay. around the globe. Um, so it actually started off a bit differently. So the, the building is already like 14 years old, and originally when we started off here, it was like I think really when the um, the question was really in how far can also um, big companies like D uh, DBHL at that point take advantage of the new markets and kind of new technologies. But it really started off more of a showroom of this is how logistics worked. And then I took it over about six six years ago or so and we pretty much um, redid the whole building. But saying what we really want to create is a, is a physical place where we can bring together the I would say the different partners of our ecosystem that we need to make innovation happen in, in, in our industry, which is 
really we are working very closely with like startups and, 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 and other technology partners who could also be like more mature companies. But we also wanted to make sure we can bring our customers here because they're typically like, as you said, supply chain logistics is not very known for being very innovative. You know, all that stuff from the technology industry, automotive, um, not that much in logistics, but we believe there's a huge potential in the digitalizing supply chains. Um, and I think more and more, I think everybody kind of realizes that. But that was kind of, we thought about how can we get best go about it? And, and we had a, um, a belief that we have to make sure it's very customer-centric and really based on use cases and applications. The problem was how can we make it tangible? So how can we make, particularly with the people who are very used to work in operations. So the idea was to create that physical space to bring those parties together. And that's when we said we want to really have a very open. So I mean, if you come to the building, it's, it's because the back is more like a warehouse, like a very fancy warehouse. I admit that, but it's it's like the building itself. It's it's more like that. But when you come in, it should be it's very open. So it's inviting. We have a we have a lounge area. We have a, a a bar where people can actually meet. And then, as you said, we have the the showroom, which really demonstrates all those technologies and um, concepts that we we are testing for supply chains. So everything you actually see here, uh, like all the robots, all the fancy cameras. That's also something we're actually working with. So it's not just um, an exhibit or a museum. It's really projects we're actually testing right now with our customers and our operations. Um, and so the idea is really, so we do a lot of research looking into, uh, you might have seen like the, the trend radar we have developed and a few other of those deep dive reports, really understanding, for example, how can robotics actually play a role in logistics, but very use case based. And then we bring some of those um, use cases and examples to the center. So actually customers can touch and feel it. Um, at least pre-COVID, <laughs> right? So they could touch and feel it and get excited about it and say, okay, this is, this is great, guys. Let's do a pilot together. And that's how we want to really then drive the joint development, bringing in the, the technology, um, the customer, and then do some of the projects in our operations. And it has worked very well. So we have about, uh, as I said earlier, like 10,000 visitors roughly per year here in a normal year. And we have another center that we opened uh, because of that success last year in Chicago. We have one in Singapore. And we are about to open one in Dubai next year, which was planned for this year, but uh, for obvious reasons, we moved it to next year. So it's very successful for really customer engagement, driving innovations with customers. Uh, but as a kind of, interestingly, as a side effect, it also has a huge contribution to our employee engagement, like bringing our own people here and, and like for training, for onboarding, um, for, for other topics that really also kind of drive that kind of excitement about the, the industry itself. Very, very interesting. Um, you said, you know, one of the main reasons is to kind of, you know, be as close as possible to the customer. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people and obviously like myself, I've been involved a lot in, in, in the topic of, okay, so how do you bring, how do you cope with speed basically that you have within technology and the speed of change uh, within large corporations? And, and how can you kind of you know, I don't even want to say that, but how can you try to implement these things, you know, and then not get basically lost in the speed. And the problem obviously always is that, you know, you can have all these fancy technologies, but, you know, you also need to map them, right? They need to, I mean, you're not just spending money for fun to show them, but they need to be mapped. So mm -hmm. basically kind of grabbing your statement in regards to, yeah, we want to be as close as possible to the customer. How do you map basically... Because I mean, because you're not just doing these things, you know, because I'm seeing here robotics, 3D printing, AI, all these things, right? And you're not just doing them because they are, you know, Gartner put them on their hype cycle or whatever, but you're, you, you know, you're doing them because, you know, you see problems that can be solved with mm -hmm. them. 
and like how do you like how do you map that so that you make sure that this innovation ultimately you know gets from this building basically or from the labs or from the pilots ultimately into the actual operations and yeah. into the customer journey so uh, so to some extent we already started a bit earlier with the mapping that's why when we started this uh, what we call our trend radar mm -hmm. Because um, as I said, there's so much technology out there, right, in terms of um, AI and robotics and, and not just that. So we also look at not just technology trends, but also, I would say, not business and social trends like yeah. sharing economy. There's so many others out there, um, like sustainability is a big driver. So as I said, how do we make sense of that and how do you prioritize which ones we really want to do? And which are most promising and, and particularly with technology, typically like those technologies are not new, right? So like robotics is around for, I don't know, for 50 years probably in, yeah. in, in industrial. But we had to f understand what is really the application for logistics. And that's what we do with our trend radar and already to get a first, I would say a little bit of a prioritization of which topics we believe have the highest impact uh, and also what's the time horizon. So uh, we, we do look at topics that are maybe further out there like today, quantum computing, space logistics, but we really then focus for pilots on those that we believe have an impact in the next three to five years. Yeah. That's the first thing to make sure it's it's kind of tangible and it's also not not that many moonshots out there because yeah, our exactly. industry just is not the right industry to do that um, with some exceptions. And then um, to your point, then we do the pilots together with customers in our own operations. So that already starts, I think, driving certain um, adaption and also starting this change process. Because what you said earlier, the problem in our case is not doing pilots. The scaling is the issue. So it's very easy to do a pilot. But then the scaling and really big corporations and in, in our case also in many cases logistics is a, is a network business. Um, so really scaling something across the network, um, not only a huge um, investment in terms of, of, of the dollars and, and euros, but it's also a huge change of existing processes and behaviors and, and everything else. So we have to all uh, take that into consideration and, and, and just to give you some examples. So one thing is if you take about talk about one of our businesses which does warehousing, it's easier. So we started really doing first things in warehousing because typically you have one site that is relatively is not isolated but standalone operated. So that's where you would start implementing some of the technology to show the to show the benefits and really again involving customers and the employees early, so they have a very positive experience. So we did that, for example, when we when we started years ago with um, smart glasses. So we worked with Google, with Vuzix, with some other providers. Uh, and we had to test it, so we weren't sure how would people react to it. Would, it, would they see it as a threat to, to, their, to their job or something else, or would they actually embrace it? And most people said, this is so cool, mm. right, that, that DHL, like, like our employees, really testing this with us. Yeah. Um, but we had a lot, lot of learnings as well, not just on the technology itself, but also on like, um, how, how, what's the, so how do people perceive wearing a glass the whole day? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of learnings in terms of the, uh, the, the it, like the, it develops a lot of heat, for example, mm -hmm. as one learning, right? And you can only really have it for, for one hour. So we had a feedback to the producer. So it's a, it's a really, it's yeah. a, really um, a, a cycle of innovation. But most important that we felt is you have to go in, you have to develop a, a scope that can give you some um, impact and learnings very quickly. And then you have to scale it. Scaling still today is the biggest challenge in our business. And it's not necessarily the funding. It's really more about the, the change behind it on the process level and on the be on the behavior and perception. Mm. I've discovered from, from my personal observations that um, in larger industrial companies, but in general, like, you know, 
also on, on, on different aspects that logistics seems to me always kind of as yeah the m more as at the forefront when it comes to technologies and uh, and like for example if i look at if i look at an, a larger industrial company if i look into the logistics department i often have like already advanced robotics for example i do have let's say really uh, oftentimes a digitized process and you know and and i my personal assumption from that is because logistics itself is a very it's a, it's a low margin um industry as far as i've mm -hmm. uh, as uh, as far as i've uh, let's say seen or heard of and um maybe that is one of the drivers where you know um why basically the industry tries to always kind of you know improve and get more efficient you know and do things better so that they basically because they you know they're they're playing against they're playing against themselves and against basically those low margins right. but at the same time this would you know for me would then basically be the question okay if if you look at companies that are not as big as as for example you guys right mm -hmm. they the the budgets for you know trying things out for trying fancy things out and and just let's say hiring a team that just focuses on doing innovation are obviously not the same right yeah so how do you how do you see let's say the industry itself you know kind of developing itself further and then moving further in regards to that i think interestingly what you said i think it is typically a low margin business and it's mostly seen also by companies like like by by our, by our customers and other companies as a as a cost element interestingly if you look at some of the recent developments particularly this year i think everybody realized that logistics is very critical but i think people normally it's, it's always in the in the in the back end right it's, just, it's like it's like your your server as long as it works Nobody really pays any attention to it. Once it doesn't, or it's impacted, like this year when we saw that suddenly global supply chains were completely disrupted, suddenly people understand, shit, this is really critical to keep business, but also like social life going. So I think there's, to some extent, people uh, probably be, hopefully there's a bit of change of perception as well, how, how important it is. The other thing I feel is if you look at some of the, the customer feedbacks on, on online uh, businesses, that... Um, and maybe think about yourself, the delivery experience is a critical part of your overall shopping experience because the product is pretty much the commodity. It doesn't matter if you order it on one shop or the other. What really makes a difference is the speed of delivery, the convenience and the return, which is all related to logistics. So I think increasingly logistics becomes a very important part of the overall product and customer experience, which um, I think people need to realize that that doesn't come for free either. Right, so but I think we're also used to it. I think it's kind of I think like some of that, like like Amazon and, and some of the other big guys, they completely um, I think read that perception that people I don't know I I I catch myself by saying when I order something online, what delivery costs? No, I go somewhere else. I mean, there's something we don't really totally we don't value that yeah, service yeah, yeah. anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think it is a and I think you see already first uh, online um, uh, platforms and shops actually reintroducing delivery costs. Because it, bec it is bec becomes important, it becomes critically more uh, expensive, particularly if you want to order fast deliveries. So hopefully there's a bit of change in that, I would say, thinking um, towards the, the value of, of supply chain and logistics. The other question, actually, again, the, the doing the pilots and the test is actually not very expensive. Because typically the, the we are not developing new technologies. It's not like that we're investing typically, maybe except something like when we did the street scooter, or the building our own e-car. We normally not that often develop new technology but rather using technology that is available already and used in other industries like maybe technology. Technology is like if you think about robotics or AI, it's not new. It's just at that point, it wasn't at a cost point 
that it made sense for logistics. But now with like, all the hardware costs going down, the components costs going down, computing power increasing, actually doing a pilot with a ro is doesn't cost a lot. Typically the providers sponsor the equipment because for them it's a way of business development. We have our own resources. So the pilot is actually not a, not a big deal, but scaling is. Um, so if you then think about scaling it throughout the whole network, that's when it becomes costly, but that's also when you really have to have other parties on board, like yeah. your customers, parties, the authorities, even potentially some competitors, depending on if you really want to scale it throughout the, the, the industry. So let's talk about some positive examples then, because I mean, uh, it would be obviously interesting if you could share some of the, let's say, successes maybe from the past, you know, which, you know, perfectly describe this kind of symbiosis of, of you guys and maybe partners. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned the glasses, which I think it's a, it's already a bit dated. Mm -hmm. But what I like about this example is it showed it shows that we had this. So we started very early with some of the, the the producers on glasses and looked into it. So something we believe that if you think about the process today or at that time, people were still doing picking. So like really picking products for an, for an online order, for example, by having a, a, a paper clip in your hand and a pen, right? And going, and it's still the case today in 80% of the warehouses. You go around, you say, okay, item one, tick, item two, tick, and then you have your order completed, which always means you have both hands busy and you have to put it aside, pick the items on and so forth. So with glasses in, in theory you could do that hands-free so that's when we kind of then looked into um, when Google came out with their glasses originally configured for the private market which didn't really work so there was no acceptance from consumers to use it so then they were looking into can we actually test it and deploy it further in the industrial environment and there were some other companies like Epson, Vuzix and others also investing in the same space. So there again, it took us quite a while to make that case because we had to really work with them to adopt their technology. So we did a couple of pilots with one customer of Rico, like the technology company, was quite excited about it. Did a pilot with them. It, it turned out positive. Um, again, it's not, a, it's not a, a game changer in terms of the financials, but it's a really interesting additional way of how you do picking. And now it became a standard technology in our in all of our um, operations. And, and the use set is more like, what we did then is we really mapped it. We looked at, okay, look at all of our sites we have globally, and in which of those we believe this would be a technology that would add value. And that's how we now do the implementation. Um, and now it became a mature product. And the other thing was like dimensioning, which is, um, again, in the past, there was this kind of like a typical thing you have to do in logistics is you need to, s you need to dimension your, 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 your pallets. Right? So because you're typically charged by volume, so how big you just go there and you just, you just measure it manually. What's the height, what's the width, and so on and so forth, which takes a lot of time. You might do some errors, and still if there's some odd shapes, it doesn't really work. Um, and there are some scanners available in the market, like laser scanners, so very expensive, not very flexible. Um, typically, even the sites who had them, they were just sitting there, and they weren't, they weren't being used, um, leading to then wrong measurements. So that we, we thought about, and then that's when we started looking, when we did our AI report, trying to figure out, so how can we really use AI for better dimensioning by really using the capabilities of AI to process pictures and, and vision input. Um, again, at that time also when it happened that Microsoft came out with their um, um, uh, Kinect, Kinect cameras. Yeah. So that was really the first really HD camera, 3D, that was really actually affordable. Yeah. And then that's where we said, here's an opportunity here. So we, we'd worked with a, a company from uh, Metrilus, a company from Bavaria, like a startup that was looking more into like really AI. Um, so they were developing the software to process um, pictures and vision. 
we combined it with the, the Microsoft Kinect cameras and created a, a dimensioning setup. So that really then was a, a tool we could use um, to, to dimension uh, much faster, uh, much more affordable, mm. more accurate. Yeah. And that's one way of then we developed. So we brought them in. Um, we helped them kind of by developing their product, by providing some funding. They provided us with a solution that was really made for, and we just used kind of commodity co co consumer products to test it. And that is something now, again, after two years, we are now rolling out across the network. Mm. And for that, of course, it's in between, you have to make sure it's kind of certified for trade. Um, you need to make sure that the cameras now are more robust than the Kinect ones. But that's kind of how it started. Really make a, create a ver relatively quickly a, a working model that works, test it so it becomes, come to a point it becomes impactful and valuable. Um, and again, it's like what I think you mentioned that earlier, particularly in, like in, in the industries where people are not that used to it, they need to be trained. The, the first results weren't very great. Uh, so the op operations guy would always say, oh, that doesn't, that, that, that won't work. So guys, wait, we have to train the machine, right? You mm -hmm. have to train it. So it took us another two to three weeks to get enough data points mm -hmm. so to train the machine up to a certain level. And that's where I think the, the example for me is you have to bring that the right technology in. But important is, and that's where, where, where I think my team comes in, to connect this between operations and the technology. Because in many cases, you have startups coming in, they know the technology, but they don't really understand logistics. Mm -hmm. So how to apply it in our environment. Mm -hmm. And we have the operations guys who know the processes, but they can't imagine how that technology could work. And that's where we try to connect those two with the innovation managers we have here, to connect those two parties. And then hopefully, something like what we see here comes out of it. Interesting. Why do you believe, why do you believe that we have so many not successful examples when it comes to corporate innovation initiatives in the sense of, you know, obviously I'm just, I'm, I'm stating that <coughs> right now, whether that is a fact or not, but I mean, it is clearly, you know, obviously, you know, people more often talk about the failures than the successes, but just perception wise, you know, there has been in the past a lot of examples where, you know, corporate initiatives have, corporate innovation initiatives have been started and then and then ultimately, you know, they didn't work out for whatever reasons those are. And those are most probably, you know, for failing to show successes. And the question is then, how do you measure success in that case? Yeah. But what do you, why do you think? This is a very personal answer now. The <laughs> 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 so first one, I don't think that this, I, I don't think that this, um, this kind of proclamation failure is great. I don't believe in that. I don't think failure is great. Failure sucks. <laughs> Um, however, I mean, it's also a question how you define failure. I mean, in many cases, it's just learnings that you have on the way. I think it's more like, um, so first of all, the celebration of failure, I, I don't get my head around that, to be honest. Um, the other thing I believe is that many of the corporations, what they did is, um, and again, we're all guilty. Um, it's more like, oh, let's do this kind of Silicon Valley safari first. So everybody goes there and feels we go there and, and we talk to many people and we do fancy events. Um, and particularly then you also send the top executives there, which really don't understand the technology or the detailed processes. So it's it's an interesting maybe marketing and employee engagement activity, but it didn't lead to so many. And many of the companies actually, unless they're really deeply now involved in development jointly, they're all kind of, kind of stopping that and coming back. The second thing is many corporations invested in startups. And we did the same and many others did. But what happened was we invested in startups just because oh, we have to do it. It's, it's kind of what you have to do. And then I think two things happened. First was that many corporations tried to take those startups in and that's the way they killed them. 
But instead of leave them alone and let them work and help them to grow, we kind of try to assimilate them in, <laughs> in, in our company, which was in most cases the end of that the startup, what made them unique and why we wanted in to buy them in the first place. Um, yeah, or we just did it for, I think, they invested in kind of startup funds and other things, but more like from a, just to do it, but without really working with the technology and the startup itself. So I think there was a bit of this misconception, we have to invest, we have to do this and, and connect with Silicon Valley, but without, yeah, and the second thing, the related to this, without really thinking about what's the problem we want to fix. So I think important really is, um, I think there was, I think it's Harvard Business Review used to kind of set this kind of, uh, every innovation starts with an unhappy customer. I think it's so critical to really figure out what's the problem we want to fix. It's always a bit of a back and forth, of course. Sometimes you have an interesting technology and you try to figure out how can we use it. But at the end, I think you really have to focus in on what's the pain point you want to either address or is what's the experience you want to make better for customers. Because otherwise, you can just get lost in doing so many things without really focusing on what matters. And that, for me, is one reason why, why many, many presumably failed. Um, because they were just not focusing on the on the right problems. Yeah, hundred percent. And I find it very funny that you're mentioning the Silicon Valley Safari. You know, the problem was also that you know you're going into an environment which is very unique. You know, and which is not you cannot copy that. You cannot copy the the things that are happening there, and for the re like for the reasons why they are happening there. You know, you cannot just take that and just kind of as a, you know, put that on kind of as a white label to your to your own company, I think. And that that's another one why why a lot of companies just fail to kind of, okay, what is our, what does that mean for us? You know, what what can we see there, you know, and, and how does that fit to us? And what does that mean for us, you know, and we need to find our own way. But it's just easier, obviously, to just say, okay, we're just opening up yeah. an office here, you know, just hire a bunch of uh, uh, over uh, overpriced people and then just, you know, try to do something. But, you know, I, I guess that doesn't work, you know, it's... It's too disconnected. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It, because it's an artificial, it's an artificial world. It's like, it, it's a world by itself and it, it prospers, you know, but it's it's not for a corporate that has a completely different... And, and I'm not saying, so we do work with Silicon Valley companies. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying this is this is how it works for everybody, but what we felt is that particularly in our in our businesses, what when we identify some partners and we have some partners like some... VCs and others we work with in Silicon Valley yeah. to help us keep track on developments. Um, we also had some of our guys being there for a few months just to make build a network. But at the end, we have to bring those technologies to our operations. So instead of us going there and spending time there, we rather find the right company and then say, guys, you have to come to our operations and test it in the in the real world environment. Yeah. But it's also because we have a very physical business, right? So um, yeah, and that's what we f we felt is more impactful in order to to, to really adopt some of those technologies yeah absolutely um let's talk maybe a little bit about some some things that you that you personally uh personally observe so what is maybe something in the in the in this year obviously this year has been crazy but um you know still you know you still need to kind of keep the show running and and and, and still you know do something and and move things forward but what is something that has striked you in the past year you know maybe uh which you observed or where you say okay this was something which w which was which really let's say surprised me or which really let's say you know um kind of was an inspiration to me or whatever from a company from a startup from a technology side whatever it is you know i mean i think the year has many surprises probably yeah <laughs> but if you boil it down like i mean no, obviously I'm trying to think about lot. what what that could be um <coughs> i think you mentioned already one but you know i'm just uh 
just going to point that out, which you already mentioned, which is kind of that logistics logistics has proven itself to be very, very important this year, you know, and a, a lot of people realize, you know, I think a, uh, everyone still remembers that moment when, when when you go to the supermarket and there's no toilet paper there, you yeah. know, or there's no there's no spaghetti or whatever. And it just started again a few weeks back, I think, the yeah. toilet paper yeah. topic. Yeah. <coughs> no, I think it, ha it has been, I mean, certainly that is, that is one, I would say it's surprising, but I think it's, I, I think it was interesting to see how quickly companies can adapt as well. Mm. Um, I mean, not just us. I mean, for us, there was a lot that we had to change in terms of, for example, there was something that suddenly with the, the lockdown, so you might, most people might not know, but two-thirds of all the air freight capacity actually runs on p passenger aircrafts. So suddenly, it's not just that nobody would, was producing in Asia or somewhere. There was just no capacity to transport goods. Um, just were just gone from one day to the next. There was just no, no capacity in the market. And that's what some of the, the shortages also came from. Um, so we, together with the airlines, had to really figure out what, what can we do in order to address that. So, so again, people were very, um, I think there was a bit of this, this shock, but I think it didn't last very long that people really got creative in, in many ways, in, in, in personal life, the way you suddenly would do sports uh, instead of going because everything was closed. Um, um, I think hiking became the new yoga somehow, right? So everybody, <laughs> everybody, I don't know, everybody was going hiking suddenly. <laughs> And I think for me, the interesting part is I'm not sure if that's going to last or not. I'm sh I know, for example, here, as I said, like we did a lot of virtual events suddenly. Yeah. So again, we had like two weeks where we're kind of trying to figure out, shit, what do we do now? Because we do a lot of physical events and meetings here. Yeah. So we turned all that into virtual and we didn't know how to do it and how it works. And suddenly there was no capacity in the market either for virtual event support. Um, but this, and, and, and I'm, I'm convinced that that will last. So not the same. I think we will go back. Everybody, what you said earlier, everybody's so glad to, to be able to do physical visits again next year. But I also think some of the virtual elements will stay because they really have proven themselves. Same like hiking. I think some people will continue <laughs> we'll to continue go hiking. hiking. Yeah, because they, they've <laughs> experienced that it's actually a good thing, you know. And I think, you know, it's, it's always, it's a balance, you know. It's, it's a balance of things. If you go into an extreme, it's always, it's always bad, you know. If you only do online meetings, obviously, yeah. you know, it's not good. <laughs> but, you know, it, uh, obviously online meetings also have proven that, you know, there's a lot of cases where we can do them and it's fine, yeah. you know. It's, it's more efficient, you know. It's better for the environment if we do them. And I think s especially for the entire consultancy uh, space, you know, they, they've probably figured that out. But, hey, um, it's, uh, I think that's a, that's a, that's no, a good thing. And I think we will see some lasting impact, the virtual events, the hiking, but also like, <laughs> like, like office space. If you saw yeah, like how many exactly. companies are now thinking yeah. about really significantly reducing the yeah. office space, which maybe not just will have an impact on the way we work, but also the real estate market. I mean, there's so many... Yeah. Um, exactly. effects from that yeah right? exactly and the question is whether like you know because do we look at office space in regards to you know like um, scaling that on demand therefore you need more flexibility from the let's say from the uh, real estate side right so the same as for example I cannot just like terminate my, my renting contract you know uh, from, from one day to the yeah. other you know but if if but if I say like okay, you know, this is like the the, the, the this is the number of units that we're permanently uh, renting, for example. Yeah. But you know, on demand, for example, like if I need next year, I need like a 200 spots more. You know, then okay, we can get it done. You know, I think that that w that will be also required from the real estate uh, market because uh, I I totally agree with you, especially from the more you know digital uh, native companies. Um, there has been a lot of examples from Twitter and so forth yeah. that uh, that have announced like yeah, we're going permanently uh, permanently into home office and obviously they they also have a lot of employees right so yeah, but i think i don't i don't think so that they're going to permanent in maybe okay. for a certain period of time i mean you already see it now so we had about 
like what I found particularly challenging is you as long as you work with your with your existing teams and everything else, I think it works just fine. But if you have new people joining completely virtual, yeah. it's different. Yeah. So I mean, depends a little bit on I think the job you're in, but but um, in many cases, I think building that relationship first, yeah. I think it's really hard to do it just online. Right. Um, so I think there will be again, it will be a mix. I think somehow you need to figure out like models that we are looking in here right now. Is here we go more mobile and virtual, but we also want to have a few days a month yeah. where the team comes together as a team, yeah. which obviously today is not possible physically, but that's something I could imagine being worked at some people. Uh, plus, some people just don't like it. They want exactly. to work. And I think we have to say it will be much more flexible and many more options, which I think is great that people can work more from home. They can work from wherever they want. They can come to the office. So we have to have that flexibility also in the office setup. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we also have to figure out how can we still keep people engaged and also somehow identify themselves with the company. Yeah. It will be a big challenge if you if you completely virtual and you never met and you never have been to any office space. So maybe there will be some again some interesting um, new ways of doing that. But that for me is the biggest challenge in that whole mobile flexible office setup. All right. Um, obviously, this year has been a a very difficult one for first of all on the social side but also on the economic side uh, for a lot of companies uh, meant you know loss of business and uh, a lot of negative uh, effects in general Um, what would you personally um, advise or or tell a um, not advice but just like say to a, a leadership team of a company that says hey it's really going you know this is these are crazy times you know uh, now we need to really focus on on you know on 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 getting that uh on getting that revenue in and then really focus on our on our net profit and and really let's say getting things done and and all these innovation activities and all these digital things you know which are not giving us any immediate return but just you know eating up money we need to kind of you know get back a little bit on those you know and then really focus our energy on 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 status quo what is something that you will tell those those people? I think the most critical part is to stay close to your customers and stay close to your employees and your teams. So that's why I think it's the most critical. Like in our business, the service business, um, that, that's one where I would really, uh, if it would just be done, that one thing that will be my advice or learning that that's so critical. I mean, everything else kind of rolls from there. Mm. Um, I think on the, Maybe in addition to that, on the innovation side, is what we have seen is that that many people, if we would have, if we would have have adopted some of the technologies earlier, faster, we would have been in, in a better place. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that that for me is a learning. You saw that that from the um, from the dis- discussion that that suddenly there was again there was this oh stop all the investments on hold and then the the opposite happened. We really had to invest in like in our case in, in network infrastructure in robotics and automation because your operation is less uh, vulnerable yeah. um, if you have if you had it in place. Yeah. Um, let's let's look a little bit more on your let's say on, on your industry and and kind of you know obviously um, I think for for may, maybe correct me if I'm wrong but I have a feeling that due to the last decade and and, and this crazy rise of e-commerce and like this 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 uh materialistic society of just like ordering things on bulk you know with with free delivery and then you know just sending 99 percent of that back 
and all these things, you know, this crazy, this crazy demand from the e-commerce side and growth there, and and really this pressure that has that has resulted on on companies like, for example, yours, um, has has kind of you know forced you to adapt to this a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, and that's why I b th that's my assumption. You were or the industry was also a little bit, you know kind of yeah i would i wouldn't say prepared but you know they weren't in such a bad place to react to you know to these crazy crazy shifts that were happening due to corona because mm -hmm. because of you know the, the rising pressure that has been happening on the years anyways you know uh due to e-commerce but correct me if i'm wrong but um how do you see that act out in the future because obviously the, this there's a huge discussion around that you know that there's s so many and so many million of millions of packages per country i think for germany i, I read the number a, a couple of weeks ago but it's 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 just really really crazy and you mentioned that a little bit earlier in regards to this free deliveries like how do you think is that going to evolve because it's really a yeah, I think I think one thing is that that we already were a little bit investing ahead of the curve i mean i think some some players in the industry did that, not all of them, and you could see the difference in who was able to cope with it. But even like typically, we had like throughout the pretty much since the, the the lockdown started, we had like volumes that we normally have before Christmas. Yeah. So and now we have we are before Christmas, so it's really it's really the peak season of all peak seasons for us. Which, which, um, which again, at, at the beginning we were kind of trying to figure out how to do that, but because we have a very robust network and we have, and the other thing is we have our own capacity. Mm. So not like we have, we have our own airplanes and fleets in DHL Express. We have our own, so we have our own capacity. That means we were not rely relying on on other airlines as much as as others would be. Yeah, and in Germany, I think we have a very dense network. But even here, you could see that actually the typical next day delivery of even of parcels which is probably 90% of the case when it happens, if you order the next one or two days, we had, there were some issues and there were some delays, right? Not delays, but delays compared to what you were normally used to, which meant in that case, not just the transport, but also the whole, like the warehousing, the fulfillment, all of that just, just, just wasn't, wasn't prepared because and that was not necessarily, um, it was more volume, but also you have to think like, if you have a conveyor belt, typically you have, you're able to work with four people in one spot, now, because of Corona rules, you had to keep distance, mm. so we we couldn't we couldn't we had more volume, um, but you had more uh, more complicated operations procedures. Um, so I think that is something that that yeah. So we were already investing because we knew that e-commerce is growing. That's why probably we we could adapt relatively quickly. But um, I mean, this is not the end of it, right? So I think the if what you said, like even even today, I think e-commerce only makes about fourteen percent of total retail mm. globally. So it's still a lot upside yeah. for more products moving to e-commerce. And the other thing we are seeing as well now that the B2B e-commerce mm. is starting big time as well. And that's yeah. even much bigger from a market perspective than e-commerce. Yeah. So I think we will run into those, those challenges, particularly when it comes to the last mile. Yeah. Um, and that combined with the, I think the, the demand for more green and sustainable solutions, um, that's what I mean. I think something, so something has to change, I believe. That you said, if you have like, I think that the number is like 60 or 70% of all goods are being returned. Yeah. Um, so every order literally creates at least one and a half transports. Yeah. Um, so I think some something has to change on not just the way, I think we could potentially cope with the volume by just investing more, but I think also from a um, traffic congestion, I mean, right now it all works fine because um, there's less traffic because people are home. But, um, so that will add to it, but also the whole sustainability is also a question. Exactly. 
um, when, it, when it comes. So I think that we need to find new ways of um, delivering e-commerce and online shopping because this one probably will not as it is. And I think there are, there are already things happening like the parcel lockouts is a great way of doing it by consolidating um, the last mile in, in certain, which I think it's, it's in Germany it's, it's, it's quite frequently used by people. So uh, we have to find different ways of doing it. Mm. Um, it's also that, I don't know if you, you ever, I sometimes, uh, I, I once um, tried to get as many delivery vehicles to my home as I could. <laughs> Which is crazy. If you try to do that by ordering different times and so different products and different time units, you get up to six or seven different vehicles to oh. one spot a day. Yeah. The different companies, which is insane. Right, so you could just bundle that somewhere. Yeah. Just have one van doing the last mile. So I think there are some. I think to some extent we have to change the way we go about it, yeah. particularly if this this kind of development continues. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, I actually find that quite interesting in regards to B two B. Do you th do you already see that you know this is going to in the future that is going to really significantly you know increase in market size mm -hmm. and and that you know I, I you know there I think obviously you wouldn't have that much of a problem in that you that you have in in, in, in consumer uh, goods you know with the return rates, mm -hmm. but uh, I imagine that uh, you know that is obviously a very very big one. In it is, and I think it starts in different industry. I mean, in in like for example, if you look at automotive, there's yeah. like spare parts mm -hmm. already tires yeah. and different models so sometimes is that you would order it online and you and it gets sent to your dealer mm -hmm. right and they yeah, so exactly. to, to do kind of the um kind of put the tires on for example but you would order it um some other stuff you so it's different models a little bit slightly mm -hmm. but if i see it here now particularly even even now um i mean many of the parts technology parts also have you would order online mm -hmm. and not necessarily from the producer but from platforms which then is also being shipped um, and in the past, you would have those bike shipments, but now you just need one part, right? You get your order. So it's very similar to, I think, B2C. The difference is that um, I think people are um, probably more used to pay for delivery. Yeah, exactly. Um, but on the other side is also that I think our, our personal experience with B2C has a huge impact on what we expect in business. Exactly. But I think that there's a huge, and I think that those kind of boundaries kind of get merged more and more. I mean, you see yeah. it with your... I mean, I don't know, if you if you were using certain apps in your private life, you expect the same experience and with your business applications exactly. increasingly. And, and this is not happening. There's a disconnect in yes. that. Yes. And I think that's why I think there's huge catch-up in the, in the B2B space yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for some of those. I mean, we saw it now with all the video conferencing, right? We all used to yeah. FaceTime and Zoom and others. Yeah. And Skype just is not up to those same standards when it comes to a... An experience, yeah. So uh, yeah, and there's some first, first very good examples. So for example, when it comes, uh, there's a startup, which is not a startup anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a already uh, over a billion, I think, in, in valuation. It's it's called Mano Mano. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's from France. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's it's kind of your um, it's it's all on on let's say that this whole tool tools uh, thing. So like everything that you need for uh, I don't know. Working uh, at home or whatever, you yeah. know, just in general, like your typical um, store for whatever, you know, your hammer or whatever, yeah. and it's 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 growing significantly, and they're like they they they're gaining more and more market share, and it's and the, and th that's a, the important thing that you mentioned, you know, their experience and the brand and how they basically how they are positioning themselves as kind of as the same experience that you would have with a B two C brand, you know. Or not a B two C brand, but in a consumer good, uh, yeah. com consumer good um, part. So it's very, very interesting, actually. Yeah, but even companies like Alibaba, Amazon, I mean, they're all investing now in, in, in their business part. I mean, there's yeah. Amazon Business and many other who yeah. actually have a business portal yeah. as well. I'm just trying to really um, provide the same experience and service that they have 
to consumers to big corporations and yeah. and also smaller companies yeah exactly hey uh, maybe as a as a closing note um you know because we've talked a lot about a lot of things and um uh, what i what i would like to get from you maybe as a as a last one is um you know taking into consideration what what has happened this year and and also you know on kind of the projections for next year from your personal personal point of view and because every person does that right you digest a lot of information you you are looking at your own industry and and there is so much information we just talked about this mm -hmm. prior to this podcast so much information that is just like you know are flowing onto us you know every day and you somehow need to digest that and you and you form opinions right and you also form somehow projections or, or predictions so to say that you believe okay this is i think where it's going to move or whatsoever mm -hmm. Maybe kind of as a closing note here, it would be kind of interesting. What is one thing that you would like to share, you know, or that where you say, okay, I've been thinking about this is more or less, I think, what's going to happen, you know, in the in, in the next 12 months or so to say, you know, in the near future. And you can choose from whatever area that is. It can be related to, you know, what you guys are doing specifically or maybe something more societal or whatever that is, you know, and from a whatever perspective. Picking one is always <laughs> tough. Yeah, that's always the, the biggest one. I, I, I always observe no, that. <laughs> I think the big topic that we all talk about, which will certainly be um, the vaccination topic. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm saying that because it has it, that will have the timing of that. I think we thought about a lot and try to make predictions when that's going to happen because it will certainly have a big impact on our business. Yeah. Private life um, and business for some reasons. When do we go back to normal? But, but as you can imagine, logistics, again, plays a major role in the vaccination challenge. Yeah. Exactly. So that is for me something that we looked into right now. We are we are kind of assuming that at least for the first half next year, I don't think much will change yeah. when it comes to um, restrictions and, and and physical meetings, and then hopefully it eases up in the second half. Um, yeah, but that's really I think that's my current prediction. So really, um, the vaccination will be really keep us all very busy, particularly in our industry, first quarter and into first half, and then and then I think depending how fast it goes. Um, Hopefully, then the second half will we will see the first positive impact of that that we can do certain things. I mean, like I just bought some uh, um, uh, tickets for a concert for summer next year. So good luck. It's, yeah, <laughs> right. So it's still I, well, I don't know, but let's let's give it a shot. So um, now I think it's hard to, uh, but that is something that I think seems relatively uh, certain that's going to happen. It's just yeah. a question on how fast it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting part where I think is like how much of this will is going to stay. Exactly. And there's a lot of like small businesses, startups that just, I mean, were created during COVID. Exactly. So we're interesting to see how many of those are going to last yeah. um, and how much of the stuff that we have been doing, what we talked about, like the virtual events, the home office and a few of those things, how much of that's going to gonna last also after the, 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 the COVID crisis. Exactly. And what are the new opportunities, basically, yeah. which are also being created right now, right? Because in such crisis, there's always new things arising, yeah. new, new big companies are being created. Uh, exactly. So if I would have a bit more time, man, that's probably what I would try to figure out. Because you said, as I'm sure there are some interesting business opportunities that, that you, if you think about it now, that could be quite, quite interesting to do next year. Yeah. Hey, Matthias, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for Likewise, being on the show. Likewise, thanks. Thanks for coming over here.